Well, if you've spent any time in church or around church, you've probably heard the phrase, God will never give you more than you can handle. Right? We've, all, we've heard this. It's, it's one of those Christian platitudes that we say. I've never liked it. I've never found it to be accurate. I've never thought it to be, have a theological basis. But God put that to death, that phrase, in my life this past week. Let me tell you why. Number one, I was supposed to preach on Ephesians 2, and normally you get about a month when you're a lay elder, so my full-time job is as a financial advisor with Edward Jones, and my office lady has also been out for two weeks with a medical condition, so I've been filling that by myself. Ben, because he likes to go to Florida, just kidding, (laughs) he had to go be refreshed in the Lord in Florida, decided, hey, actually, I need you to preach Ephesians 1 which for a lay elder to have 10 days, that was a little astonishing. And if that wasn't enough, my wife Jessica, we have six children, none of which can drive, all of which are involved. She, on Saturday night, got so sick, she could not get out of bed until Tuesday. So for four days, she was with a fever, in bed, and I was mom and dad, I was financial advisor, and I was pastor, I was wearing three different hats, and as I was doing the dishes one night, Our daughter, Lily, who's our second, she's in eighth grade. I was lamenting my current situation because you don't complain, right? You're a Christian, so you don't, no no complaining. (laughs) So I was lamenting, and she, in her gracious nature, she is her father's daughter, said to me, well, what do you think God is trying to teach you in all of this? (laughs) And internally... I thought, God, I don't have time for that right now to be taught something. I'm teaching on Sunday, and I'm teaching from Ephesians 1. And so as I turn to Ephesians 1, 15 through 23, I want to ask you a question this morning, and, and I don't want you just to listen to this question. I really want you to feel this question. If I had the ability, the capacity to give you every earthly blessing imaginable, for you. Your dream house on your dream property in the dream location with the dream fence and the dream furniture and the dream cars. And I gave you a full bank account with all of the retirement money that you could possibly ever want, total financial peace, complete security, financial, all the riches that this world could offer, as well as good health, solid long-standing, great health, and, and then positional sort of importance. You know, if you were exalted, you were someone, you weren't just this Instagram influencer, like you were actually somebody. You know, and I could bestow this on you, I could give you this. If I could give you all those things on this hand, and then on, on this hand, I could give you, by the grace of God, he would give you all of the spiritual blessings that we have in Jesus Christ, that we've read about in Ephesians 1, 3 through 14, I could give you all of these spiritual blessings that God would open your eyes to the fact that you were adopted, you were chosen before time, you were forgiven, you were redeemed, that you have an imperishable inheritance in Christ, and that you were sealed with the power of the Holy Spirit. If I could open your eyes to those things through God, and you had a choice between these two different things, what would you choose this morning? What is it 
that you prize as supremely valuable? What is it that you truly love that absolutely captivates every fiber of who you are and that outpours in your deepest affections? What is it that you hold as the supreme treasure of your life? And do you grasp truly what we have in Jesus Christ, the hope we have, the inheritance we have, and the power that we have through Jesus Christ? Well, I know from Ephesians 1 that the answer to that is a resounding no, we don't. We cannot grasp and comprehend the depth of the riches of Christ that have been poured out on us. We can't do it. It's impossible apart from the Holy Spirit. Unless he awakens you to these things, you will be dim, you will be dull. We have to be enlightened by the Spirit of God to see these things. And that's what Paul is praying in Ephesians 1, 15 through 23. He's asking God to show the Ephesian believers what they have in Jesus Christ. He's reminding them, don't forget what I just wrote to you in 3 through 14. The spiritual blessings that you have in Jesus, they're right there for you. This is a prayer for the believers to know and to wake up to what they already have in Jesus Christ. Now there's, a, there's two different wake-up styles. I, was, I received this text message from Jessica this week. I'm in the midst of running all throughout these things, and I get this text at work because she's been laying down for four days. So what else do you do when you start to feel better? You start to read, and then you text your husband. So she texts me this, which is from a parenting book, that she is currently reading, talking about nurturing. And it looks at different parenting styles, and you take a 20-question survey, and at the end of the 20 questions, they basically categorically tell you, you're either a monster or you're a sweetie. You know what I mean? Well, if you don't know me, I'm the monster. So I get this question, and it says, each pair describes two different approaches to the same situation. Put a check mark next to the scene in which the parent most closely resembles you. Number one, at the beginning of the day, you go to your child's room, stand at the doorway, and say loudly, get up, it's time for school. Or, at the beginning of the day, you sit on your child's bed, you put your hand on her back, and you say softly, breakfast in a, in a few minutes. Just a disclaimer at the beginning of this sermon, I am parent one. So when I look to awaken you by the power of the Spirit of God, it's going to be through the lens of parent number one. <laughs> but I will do my best to incorporate parent number two for some of you that need a gentle, gentle prodding to say, honey, it's, it's time to get up. Now as we read through 15 through 23, after I read this, this might make you a, a, just a pinch uncomfortable, but that's okay. I'd like for you to pray. Normally I would pray, and I will, but I'd like for you to pray where you're at with those around you for two minutes. Be bold. If I can get up here and do this, you could surely pray at your seat. But I want you to beg God to open your eyes to who he is and what he's done for you. And you'll see the context of it as we read the scripture, and then I'll give you a minute. So let's look to Ephesians 1, 15 through 23. Paul says, For this reason... Because I have heard of your faith 
in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and all authority and power and dominion above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Would you pray where you're at? God, would you give this to me this morning? Would you give me the ability to see the riches that I have in Jesus Christ? Do that for two minutes, please. Lord, we pray now together that you would give us divine illumination so that we could see the beauty and the truth and the riches that we have in Jesus Christ. We know apart from your spirit moving upon us that we could not grasp or see these things, Lord. So I plead with you, would you give us eyes to see this morning? that we may taste and see that the Lord is good and that he has blessed us so richly. In the name of Jesus, amen. So I titled this, Wake Up. It's a prayer for us to see our hope in Christ, our inheritance in Christ, and our power in Christ. And if I step back and just give you a little context, this is a letter written to the Ephesian believers. So this is a letter to the believing church of Ephesus. And what's significant about the church of Ephesus is if you go to Revelation 2, we can get what Christ said in the end days to the church of Ephesus. And he says this in Revelation 2. He says, I know that you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. Remember, therefore, where you have fallen. Repent and do the works that you did at first. If not, I will come to you and I will remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. And so we have Jesus' direction to this church. To like, hey, wake up. Be reminded of your first love, the treasure of your life. But if we take the text and we look at it in terms of how it's structured, 
what we're going to see just high level is in verse 15, we're going to get the reason why Paul is driven to thanksgiving and prayer. It says he's prompted to those things. He hears of these things in 16. In 17, he gives us generally what he's praying for, which is that our eyes would be open to these things. And then he gets specific in 18 and 19 saying that they would know the hope, that we would know this hope, our inheritance, and the immeasurable greatness of the power towards us. And then if that wasn't enough, he says, hey, that power is like these things. And he lists five things. Verse 20, power when he raised Jesus from the, t- the dead. Verse 20, power when he seated Christ at his right hand. 21, power in Christ being exalted over all rule, authority, power, dominion, every name. 22, verse 22, power to put all things under his feet. And lastly, in 23, he says, power in putting him head of the church. That's the context. That's getting our arms around the text. That's what we're going to look at this morning. And where it starts is from verses 3 through 14 when he says, for this reason. And if we look back, what we see is verses 3 through 14 is one single sentence And it is a sentence of the deepest, richest theology that we could ever possibly hold. This is the theology that actually tells us that we have been redeemed, we have been chosen before time, that we've been adopted into God's family, forgiven, and that we've been given the Holy Spirit as a deposit with an imperishable inheritance. That's what he says in 3 through 14. And then looking out, Past in 15, for this reason, he has heard of their faith and their love. And really, if you think about it, faith is nothing more than 3 through 14. It's God giving them the eyes to see the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he's saying, hey, I heard of this faith because I've heard of this faith, but I've also heard of the love that you have for the brothers and sisters. You see, It's not enough just to have faith, right? That faith, if it's genuine, always results in an outpouring of love. Apart from an outpouring of love, you don't have saving faith, I hate to tell you. You can't say, oh, I just, I I believe in Jesus. I believe in Jesus. The demons believe. Some of you will come and say, Lord, Lord, I did this in your name. I did that in your name. And Jesus said, I never knew you. Go from me. It's not enough to have belief. Now, what's interesting, too, about this section of Scripture is Paul prays immediately after. He's just laid out a beautiful sentence of the riches that they have in Christ. And it's almost like he's driven to prayer. It's like, we cannot comprehend this stuff. We need to pray. And we'll see the same thing in Ephesians 3 after we look at Ephesians 2. He's going to bring forth just this incredible theology for us And then he prays that God would give you the eyes and ears to actually understand it. So he hears of this faith. Now remember, he's in a Roman prison. So Ephesus was a well-traveled city. So he's hearing, people are visiting. And he says, I'm I'm hearing of your faith and love. And I thank God for it. And I pray. Now what's interesting to note about that is, who does he thank? He thanks God. (laughs) He doesn't thank the Ephesian church. He doesn't say, hey, thank you guys for staying so faithful. Thank you guys for being so loving. He thanks the Lord. Why? Because he knows, and he's going to tell us in Ephesians 2, they couldn't do this on their own. 
They would never come to this saving faith apart from Jesus Christ opening their eyes. So why would he thank them for the faith that he's giving them? God is the one that we thank. We thank God. Also, outside of the Spirit of God, we can do nothing for him. John 15 tells us that. So any outpouring of God, anything, any manifestation of love is God-given. So he's saying, I thank God for you. And I do what? I don't cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. And you know what's interesting about this is, as he launches into this prayer, remembering you in my prayers, when does this prayer stop? He says, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ may give you the eyes, a revelation and the knowledge of him. And then he goes on and on and on and on and he doesn't say, in Christ's name, amen. He doesn't end the prayer. We don't even know. Does he, is the prayer continuing in Ephesians 2? Does it end at verse 23? I don't know. But I think what, what, what that's instructive of is this continual abiding in the spirit where he's praying without ceasing, where it's almost this prayer. It's just this union with Christ that is inseparable. And so the question for us as Christian brothers and sisters is when we hear of someone doing something in the Lord, whether it's their faith or whether it's love, do we go to God and thank him for that? Are we so overwhelmed by the fact that apart from the spirit of God moving on them, they would not be having saving faith and it would not manifest itself in love? Do we stop and give thanks and then do we pray? And what does he pray for? He doesn't pray for him to bless and be with, right? Bless this person, be with this person, bless this person, be with this. That's not the prayer that he has for them. He says, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, verse 17, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know. Let's stop there. I want your eyes to be opened. I want you to understand this, to have a greater knowledge of God, but I, he has to give it to you. He doesn't say that you go and get. He says, I need God to give this to you. I'm praying that he gives this to you. You don't go and acquire it. You're incapable of acquiring it. I'm incapable of acquiring it. But what does he say? I want you to have the revelation in the knowledge of him. So if you want to know something better, what do you do? Whether it's your job or a sport, a hobby, any, anything. How do you learn something? How do you get to know something? Well, I think you study it, right? You would study it. Certainly we have God's word. You would study God's word and he would reveal. You pray in the spirit like, God, help me to see these things in the Holy Spirit. And then I think you experience it. The experience that we have through Jesus Christ. But one thing we got to pause here on is this is a prayer for the saints. This is a prayer of illumination. Not that they would come to salvation. This is a prayer for them to know the depth and riches of the salvation they already have. But we should pause for a second here to address those of us in this room who are in darkness. Because you see, these Ephesian believers here, they're like a light switch, a dimmer, a dimmer switch. And what I mean by that is every morning I will get up and I will read by the grace of God most mornings and I will sit at our counter. And we have over our counter a light switch that's on a dimmer. 
And when it's first thing in the morning, I don't turn it to absolute complete bright. I have to kind of get adjusted. So I'll set it to a dim setting. But what you find is you don't really turn it up to the full power because you get adjusted to the light itself, right? And some of us this morning as Christians, we don't know that there's another level of brightness that we are dull and we are dim and we have to ask God to raise our brightness, that he would illuminate himself to us, that we would brighten. Now, some of us in this room need a different prayer. We need the prayer from 2 Corinthians 4, 6, which says, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. We don't need to be awakened on the dim light switch. Our switch is not even on. We are down in the kitchen right now in complete and utter darkness. And we need God to go over to the wall and flip that switch so that we can be awakened to what he says, the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Because the truth is, unless God flips that switch, unless God calls you to himself, that you, outside of Jesus Christ, will face hell. You will face hell. And what is hell? Because I think sometimes we don't have an accurate picture of it. We think hell is a place where I go where there's no rules and I can be with all my drinking buddies. I mean, really, like we flippantly think like, well, at least there's not judgmental Christians there. I'll have some more freedom and I won't have to worry about that. I think that actually sounds a lot better than heaven, I guess. But what does God's word say about hell? God's word says that outside of Christ, that you are destined for an eternity without him, and hell is a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth where those of us who have not repented and put our trust in Jesus Christ are cast forever into the lake of fire. That is not a pretty place. We have to take that seriously to say God has told us what that looks like. And for some of us, we might sit here and think, well, I, don't, I, don't know if I, I don't know if I want a God like that. You're telling me that there's a God that would cast me aside forever? I'm actually a fairly decent person. Like, I don't commit any heinous crimes. Like, I'm a law-abiding citizen. I, I got good grades in school. I played sports. Like, I don't know what else I need to do to, earn, you know, to be right with God. So I'm, me? I'm not sure that I, I want a God like that. That seems like a very unloving Lord. That sounds really judgmental, like very harsh, right? We, we think those things. But God, but God, Ephesians 2, but God. God, and this is the incredible thing, because he loved you so much, he said, I am not going to have you drink the wrath of the Father. I am going to drink the wrath for you. And he did it through Jesus Christ. So you say, I, what kind of Lord is this? I can't, I can't love someone like that that would do that. You don't know what he did through nothing of your work. 
Jesus Christ, in his great love for you, spilt his blood so that you could be made right with the Father. Is there anything more loving than that? And you didn't even deserve it. I did not deserve it. So you say, I can't serve a judgmental God, a, a harsh God, a fierce God like that. I say, know the kindness of his riches towards you. Know what he's done for you. The second thing I think is we have a distorted view of heaven. We think of heaven as little baby, baby angels flying around with a harp and like a little bow and arrow. And we're, we, that's how, and endless singing, right? Like just constant singing, constant singing. Eternal boredom is essentially what we're thinking. Like that, that's just, like, I don't want that. I don't want to be a little baby floating around in a cloud and be eternally bored singing songs. That doesn't sound very fun. What does the Bible say? The Bible says in Psalm 16, in the presence of Christ, there are pleasures forevermore. Revelation 21 says that in the new heaven and the new earth will have a resurrected body, no pain, no sickness, no crime, no sin. Every tongue, tribe, and nation will come and they will praise God. That is what we stand to gain. The troubles that we have right now, oftentimes we want to solve them here on this planet. We think, oh my goodness, I can't handle the politics right now. Or I am so sick right now. Or I do not feel well. My back has been hurting for months. Like, we Take heart. We will not have that. Back to the text here. So 18, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know that you may know. We talked about this. It's an experiential knowing. It's like the deepest fiber of your being. It's not just this head knowledge. Even the demons have a head knowledge. It's not enough to just know of Christ. It's to be known by him. It's the same way, you know, we had adopted Reggie, and he'd never had experienced snow. I mean, he's in Africa. There's snow in Africa. How do you explain what snow is to someone who's never experienced snow? Or, or how do you explain somebody to somebody the majesty of a mountain range if they've never seen it? How, how do you do it? Or, or marriage. Like, how do you explain just this incredible union of husband and wife until you've actually been married? You, you can't. It's just a glimpse of these things. You know, on our way home from the airport, about two years ago, almost to the day, we stopped on the way back because he was hungry. We stopped at Chick-fil-A. He'd never had Chick-fil-A, obviously, so we thought, he's going to love this. He's going to love Chick-fil-A. He did not like it. <laughs> we were astonished. We're like, he doesn't like a chicken sandwich? This is unbelievable. Now, he's had a few chicken sandwiches under his belt. Loves them. Loves them. But some of us in here, we've had them so many times that now they're like, yeah, it's a chicken sandwich. It's a chicken sandwich. It's a, it's, yeah, it's good. But we have to wake up. We have to be awakened to these things. The other illustration I'd share is this. Jessica and I, this is kind of stupid, really, but I'm going to share it anyways. We have this ongoing talk, almost a disagreement, talk about our deep freezer and keeping track of the inventory that we have in the deep freezer. These are the kind of things that we worry about, yes. 
I don't want to run to Aldi to get stuff that we already have in our deep freezer because you haven't looked at the deep freezer to see what it is we actually have. You already have all of it. You don't need to go somewhere else than Jesus Christ. It is all right here. You don't have to look out. You don't have to go to Aldi. You do, there's nothing you need to do. Christ has already given it to you. You already have it. And that's what Paul is saying. He's like, hey, you already have these things, but I need God to reveal them to you again. I need to awaken your heart. I need to awaken your spirit. Now, what do I need to awaken you to? What does he need to awaken you to? We'll touch on these quick. Hope, inheritance, and power. We'll spend a little more time on the power, but the hope that you have in Christ. And you see it here in 18. The hope to which he has called you. One of my favorite verses, Jeremiah 1.5. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. How is that possible? Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before time itself, God had your name written in the book of life. If you are in Christ this morning, before time began, he was calling you to himself. You didn't find this book. This wasn't a book that you were like, where's that book? I need to find that book and I need to squiggle my name in there. Get my name in that book of life. It sounds really good. You couldn't do it. You couldn't do it. The author had to put you into his book. And he says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. You didn't wake up. You didn't awaken yourself. You didn't say, oh my goodness, I'm, I'm in darkness right now, aren't I? God, through his Holy Spirit, awakened you to the darkness. He flipped the light switch on for you, and you were like, wow. I was blind, and now I see. I was dead, and now I'm alive. You didn't wake up to that. And why did he do it? Why did God do it? We have it in Ephesians 1, verses 6, 12, and 14. He says, all for the praise of his glory. All for the praise of the glory of God. That is why he opened your eyes. That was the reason he opened your eyes. You have a secure hope. We have a secure hope. This isn't a wishful hope. This isn't like, I hope that I'm okay in the end. I just hope I do enough things and God weighs my, this ledger against this ledger and says, yeah, this ledger outweighs that ledger. There are no ledgers. There's the righteousness of Christ. That is it. That is the only thing that you will have as a defense is Jesus Christ crucified for you and resurrected. That is your only defense. We get an inheritance. You know, this is a powerful one, I think, because not only does God declare us neutral, yeah, that would be enough, right? If God was like, I'm not going to hold this against you. And he just canceled your debt, just canceled it. You'd be like, oh my goodness, thank you, Lord, so much for canceling my debt. And that would be true. But the Bible goes further than that. He says, you were an orphan. You were fatherless. In fact, your father was Satan. I took you and I brought you into my family and now you will sit with me at my right hand with Christ forevermore. That now you have been adopted into the family and you stand to have an imperishable inheritance. 
He didn't just cancel the debt. He says, no, you are mine now. You are my son. I love you. All that I have is yours. You know, one topic that <clears throat> I don't want to brush over here is the security that we have of our salvation. You know, there's some doctrine that would say that you could lose your salvation. The doctrine here at the church is you can't. Because, and quite honestly, if you think about it, if you could, you'd probably lose it this afternoon. Sincerely. If, if it depended on you to hold yourself fast, you know, if you, if you sang the song, I will hold myself fast, like, oh my goodness. He will hold you fast. Nobody jumps out of the Father's hand. That if you have been genuinely reborn in the Spirit, you're an adopted son. You can't be given back. You don't re-adopt you out. I can't be like, no, you're not actually part of the family anymore. It doesn't work. You were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. Sealed, closed, done. What great comfort that is for us. We don't have to come to the end days or even today thinking, am I in Jesus or not? Am I saved or am I not? The Holy Spirit is your deposit. There is tremendous comfort in that. You are an heir with Christ. And again, you didn't do anything to deserve it. Nothing. You couldn't do anything. And again, why did he do it? For the praise of his glorious grace. All for the praise of God's glory. 19. Talked about hope. Talked about inheritance. What about this immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? That sounds religiously idealistic and so not real, right? That's like what would go through my mind is like, that's for the really strong believer, I think, like immeasurable power toward me, right? Uh, I'm not feeling that power this morning. Like that's, that has to be some religious idealism that now I'm gonna check out because you're bringing forth these things that are just incredibly unrealistic. And so I'm, this is not for me. Well, I think there's two problems there. <clears throat> the first problem is, if we knew the power of things that were against us, we would understand the power of God who is for us. What do I mean? Think of it in terms of an illness. Like, let's say you had a terminal disease. This disease was going to take your life and you could take medicine that would prevent that disease from taking your life, you would take that medicine, you'd be like, oh my goodness, is this the most powerful medicine that I have ever had? It's incredible. But if you didn't know that you were terminal and you thought you had a cold and now you had a medicine to cover that cold, you think, yeah, it's just a little cold. The problem is we don't view our sin through the lens that there is tremendous power in my flesh, that my own sin blinds me to the power of my own sin. That, let that sink in for a second. If you're sitting here this morning thinking, I'm not as bad as what he's talking about, that's your sin. Blinding you to your sin. 
Because apart from the grace of God, apart from his power working on you and for you, you would be committing the most egregious sins, and so would I, apart from the Spirit of God. You would be the person who did a heinous crime apart from the keeping power of Jesus Christ in your life. That is theologically true. You may not feel that way because you're blinded to that. And Paul's saying, open your eyes to this power. If you have any measure of success or victory over your sin this morning, rest assured it is the power of God working towards you. That's it. If you have victory over pornography this morning, praise the Lord, that is the power of God in your life. If you have victory over gossip this morning and you're not partaking of that and the Holy Spirit awakens you to that while you're at your office, praise God, that is the power he's working for you. If you are an angry person and this week, by the grace of God, you allowed that anger to wash inside of you and didn't manifest itself, that is the power of God. And if you did anything for God this week and weren't just totally apathetic, it was the power of God in your life. It was not you. And if you actually grasped that, you would be overwhelmed if we got that. That is the power. If he gave you any measure of victory, it was the power of God this week. It was his immeasurable greatness of power towards you. Second, if you had any victory over the evil spirits and forces that are against us, that is the grace of God. Some of us don't even realize. We think, we, we read in Ephesians 6 about this lion that's you know, prowling around looking for someone to devour and destroy and we think that it should have the word Detroit in front of it. Lions are not very good. We take it lightly. We think, that's, uh, yeah. If we knew that there was someone and a legion of someones whose job and total goal for their day was to destroy the faith of a believer, we would know that if we didn't jump out of the hand of God, if we are held to Christ, that it is the power of God, the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us. If we actually comprehended the enemy that's in front of us, the father of lies who's bringing things into this world, saying, if you're a boy, you can be a girl. And if you're a girl, you can be a boy. And if you love that person, love is love. It doesn't matter if it's the same sex. Or you're black, Everything's against you. The system's oppressing you. You, you. It's not your fault. You're a victim. Or it's not your body. This is my body. I can do whatever I want. The, these, these are the lies that are coming before us. And if you have any ounce of enlightenment to know those are lies, it is the power of God in your life right now, this moment. And I should say right now, that if these things are a struggle for you, there's tremendous power to overcome those things and God knows what you're dealing with. If you have a same-sex attraction, God knows and you have to humble yourself to say, God, I, I, I can't have victory over this. Or God, I, I, I'm just believing these things. And maybe we have siblings or or, or relatives that are they're caught in these lies. We should have such compassion. 
for these people. Like, God, open their eyes to see that these are lies, that he has blinded their eyes. We should have tremendous compassion towards those struggling with these things. Because apart from the grace of God, we would be struggling with the very same thing ourselves. Apart from God sustaining you, you would be in hell. You would be stuck in your sin and you would be completely and utterly defeated. Period. Period. Apart from God's power in your life towards you, you could not have one measure of victory. He, in fact, ends the passage with what is this power like? It's almost like he says, and he does, he uses, I'll use the New American Standard Version, he says, he says, these are, this power is in accordance, and this is in 19 and 20, it's in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he did five things. Three words, three different Greek words are used there to tell you it's powerful, it's strong, it's mighty, it's working. This is towards you, the believer. It's according to these things, or it's like these things. When in verse 20, continuing on, he raised Jesus from the dead. The same power that lives in you raised Jesus from the dead. You have resurrection power now. Is that the power of flight? Reggie's like, does that mean I get to fly? <laughs> Not really. No. That's the power that you don't have to fear death. Death died for you. That you will take great comfort in this. You will never spend one second outside of the presence of Jesus Christ. Now and forevermore. Not one second, not the moment that you taste death, you will be fully in the presence of Jesus Christ. There's not a day that a genuine believer goes without being in the presence of Jesus Christ. Verse 20, the same power is according to him, seating him at the right hand of God. The highest position, the highest honor, the most exaltation, and what's amazing about this is we're seated right there. Ephesians tells us like we're seated in Christ at the right hand of God. It's the highest place of esteem. 21 says he was exalted above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not just now, but in the age to come. Those evil forces that are against us are incredibly strong. But we have the victory. God wins. God wins the war. There is a tremendous comfort in knowing that nothing happens outside the sovereign will of God in your life that everything you encounter has been sovereignly ordained by the creator of the universe to conform you to the image of his son. Wow, do I need that reminder. We win the war. Verse 22, 
He put all things under his feet. All things. Anything in your life right now that you think, I am completely and utterly powerless to face this, you are 100% correct. You cannot face it apart from Jesus Christ. God will give you more than you can handle so that you fall and you rely on him. Everything is under his feet. The illness that you have, the disease that you have, the business that you have, the, the politics of our country, on and on and on, whatever it is you're facing this morning, it is under the feet of Jesus Christ. What a tremendous comfort that that is. Nothing is too big. Nothing is above him. It is all under his feet. And lastly, in 23, he made the church his body. We are the body of Christ. As we take territory for the kingdom, now and in the new heaven, new earth, God's power gets manifested through us. We're his body, we're his work, we're his agents. We are his workmanship, created to do good works, which he has prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. So, as we close, give you two approaches here. The first is, wake up! Wake up! And the second is, it's time to get up, little sweetheart. It's, uh, all right, buddy, it's time for you to see these things. Time for, time for you to become aware of this now. We, we have to beg God to see these things because apart from the Spirit illuminating these things into our eyes, we will remain dull and dim to our hope, our power, and our inheritance that we have in Christ. Let's fully awaken to these things. And for those of us who are outside of the saving grace of Jesus Christ this morning, where we've never repented of our sin, placed our faith in Christ, and lived for him as the Lord of our life, what would keep you from experiencing and tasting the love that God has for you, which is so amazing. What do you have that's better? What do you have that's better? May God open your eyes to his hope, inheritance, and power that you could have in Jesus Christ. There is no greater treasure. Let's pray. God, we need your Holy Spirit to work that we would see and behold these things, that we would taste and see that the Lord is good, that we would know the hope we have, the inheritance we have, the power that we have. And God, we know that our own sin and the enemy desires to block us from seeing these things, that we'd be clouded, that we'd be dim and dull. And so God, I pray for my brothers and sisters, that you would open our eyes to full illumination. 
And for that person this morning, Lord, who's heard the truth of the gospel, would you awaken in their heart, flip on the switch, and call them to yourself that they would see the sacrifice that Jesus Christ has made for them and they don't have to go out of here without having this hope, inheritance, and power. Lord, may you make it so through Jesus Christ. Amen.